Welcome to Walking Backwards. I'm Brad Vermette. This week's guest is Andy Shuttleworth. He's a Steadicam operator who did uh, the opening shot for Boogie Nights, which is a shot I've always loved. And so I chatted with him about that and about a bunch of other stuff, including uh, the shot that goes underwater in Boogie Nights, which is a pretty cool one, too. Um, One note, I was talking to a listener yesterday, and he said he had signed up for SoundCloud and was paying a monthly subscription fee in order to listen to the podcast. You do not have to do that. <laughs> I told him stop that right now, and he he didn't have uh, a podcast app on his phone. So, just in case anybody else had the same kind of problem, um, you can get it on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. I think you can listen to it for free on SoundCloud. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I don't know. He was paying. So, anyway, um, but it's definitely free on all those other uh, podcast aggregators. So, um, don't don't pay money for that. If you want to pay any money, go to Patreon.com/slash/WalkingBackwards. Sign up, be a patron, um, and support the show that way, and you get a little uh, bonus content too. Um, Walter Clausen is a sponsor of the show as most of you know um they have supported the show from the very beginning or pretty close to the very beginning anyway and uh yeah they want to give you a deal on an iBaird if you want to have one um i have mine i love it like i've said before it stays on my vest all the time Uh, i think i've only taken it off once since i got it in 2015 and uh yeah it's great and if you use the promo code walking you will get a discount. And they also just lowered the price a bunch too. Um, I guess they found a cheaper way to make it, whatever that means, economies of scale or blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But it's cheaper than it used to be, and it's cheaper if you use the code WALKING. So go get yourself one if you like, or go to WalterClausen.com and just look at all the other cool stuff they make. They make a lot of good things. Um, I guess that's it. If you'd like to email me, it's walking backwards podcast at gmail.com you can check me out on instagram at the number one giant robot and find me on facebook and blah 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 all that good stuff and yeah i guess that's it so uh without further ado here's andy shuttleworth hi andy how are you i'm very good thank you thank Uh, you for having me here oh yeah um you know what can we let me just the mic's a little far away Okay. Well. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah, there you go. If, <laughs> that helps. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, we want to be able to hear you. Um, so you were just telling me the first time you picked up a camera was the Falklands War. You were in the... That no- was the first time I did any, you know, picked up a camera to be paid. Okay. I was, uh, we were doing stuff, uh, I was working for a company and um, in London... Um, in a small passageway which is featured in the film uh, Peeping Tom by Pal and Pressburger if anybody's interested in weird uh, English filmmakers of the 1950s and that passageway is featured heavily in the film and that's where I kind of started we had a building there was one of those um, you know warehouse type buildings with hoists outside and it had been converted kind of badly it's right off Oxford Street, right in the middle of the West End. So 
And one of the things that we did was um, we would do uh, transmissions to various parts of the world. We used to do stuff for uh, a Middle Eastern correspondent and we used to do stuff for South America. And at the time in 1982, we were at war with the, the Argentinians over the Falklands. And uh, that was when I first picked up a camera in anger as it were. I wasn't angry actually, but you know, it was kind of interesting to be down the, the Ministry of Defense, which would be like, um, you know, press briefings every lunchtime as to what had happened the previous day because, you know, it was way down in the South Atlantic. So it was yeah. kind of uh, interesting. And I was doing stuff for the Venezuelans. So I had a really, you know, odd guy from Venezuela. Everything was in Spanish. I don't speak any Spanish, but that was my first um, time picking up a camera and, uh, and getting paid for it. So that was 1982. Hmm. And then you know, <clears throat> were you were you in the you were in the business though? Were you doing other stuff, or you had just gotten into the business? I think I started way back when MTV started, so that would have been around eighty one, the end of eighty. Right. I remember us doing. I went for another little company. I just finished college and uh, I was out of money, so somebody said, "You want to come and uh, drive some bands." And I went, yeah, we needed a clean driving license, so that was me. I had a clean driving license mm -hmm. and a little bit of electronics knowledge. So um, I got involved, and the, one of the things we did was for the Buggles, who had the first uh, video killed the radio star. Right. You did that video? No, well, we had stuff oh. on that. Okay. And that, So that was how I kind of located when I started because I was kind of I, was, I never kept a diary so I don't really know very much about you know that time's gone by it's a long time ago now you know mm -hmm. yeah 40 years yeah <laughs> and you didn't you didn't study what did you study in school did you did, did they even I offer film studies yeah a little bit but nope not as far as I know what, what did you uh... I started doing I did chemistry for a while and I did uh, electrical mechanical engineering Mm. I never graduated. You and me both. <laughs> I'm like two classes shy. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, well, I did too. I did. Uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I left school. Actually, I was thinking the other day. I'd never seen a film crew anywhere. I mean, you know, I grew up in uh, southeast London. Mm -hmm. uh, David Bowie was a neighbor, and um, it was um, uh, Peter Frampton's dad was a teacher at a local um, high school. <laughs> really? Yeah. And <laughs> Billy Idol was a fan, actually, of a band I was in. He, he was a little snotty-nosed kid at the time, but, you know, he's a famous star. But there was yeah. a few people. It was about 15 miles out from the center of London. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, David Bowie was like two doors down from one of my best friends. We didn't know it at the time, and I looked at him and thought, my goodness me, he lived right next door. Oh, and you didn't know that? Not at the time. He's a little older than I am. Yeah. You know, he was like, I knew a lot of people who knew him because, you know, like we were all like in that kind of part of the world. But by the time I left school, you know, they they were international stars living in other places. You know, people would come through southeast London there and head off to better pastures. <laughs> Yeah, I doubt he was spending much time at home in the early 80s. He was a busy guy. Oh, well, he, he actually moved into a big house in, um, uh, it was near Dulwich. 
this is further west. I was in Bromley, Kent, which is about, he was about eight or nine miles away. They moved into this weird big house in Beckenham, mm. that that part of the world. I haven't been there for many years, actually. I, I'm a bit sort of vague on where <clears throat> places are down there. I don't go back. I haven't be, I've been back a few times, but basically I've been here. Since, what, would you, 94, was it? 94 is when we came here. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the day before the Northridge earthquake. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's the first night I was here was the Northridge earthquake. Oh. Well, that was kind of quaint, you know. <laughs> what part of town were you in for the quake? Uh, I was in um, Laurel Canyon, staying with a friend, and um, I was in the conservatory. There was a lot of glass and a lot of books, and there was a lot of falling. It was kind of, and it was, yeah, it was a bit, uh, it was a bit serious, I think, but I didn't think very much of it my wife my sister lived up in the san francisco area and had been there for about 10 years and uh, she would say oh we had a tremor the other day and you know i would think oh this is kind of a regular thing because i didn't come from the world of earthquakes right so so yeah <clears throat> first night i thought oh this must happen often <laughs> you didn't realize how how bad it was no i didn't you, know of it was, course it was a in it was a supposedly a big one yeah yeah um, you know, I, ha I used to have a friend that lived in Northridge, and he he lived in this house that they never stopped. After the quake, they put up like little wires, so everything on their shelf wouldn't fall off. Like oh, yeah, every right. shelf they had in the house, they uh -huh. had a wire across. The next time there's a big one, everybody else is going to do more of that, you know. Right. Yeah. I keep thinking about it, and and then of course you don't. You think about something else, so you don't get around to doing anything about it. But uh, no, it's going to come eventually yeah hopefully not anytime soon and they say we're due for a real big one but uh knock on wood that doesn't happen <laughs> no, it's all good <clears throat> so you were in the business so you were doing steadicam for for like over 10 years by the time you came to the u.s correct yes um so i was assisting a guy who was a documentary cameraman and he um had got you know information that, that that cinema products had made this new steadicam it was the mark three and um he said oh we should get one of those he said you want to go into business with me so i said oh yeah okay that sounds like an interesting thing and we went down to joe dunning cameras and we looked at what was mark twos and um and I thought this was a pretty cool device. I'd never seen one before. That was the first time I'd seen one. So it was kind of demonstrated to us and me and John um, were pretty impressed. And he he was, he was thought this was going to be a great idea because apparently he said, oh, this is going to be a lot easier than the old Steadicam. So I should, we should get into this. And um, so Why did we, he think it was going to be easier? They said, they, they said that, you know, it was going to be easier to operate than the Mark II and the Mark I. Okay. And that was kind of a selling thing. Uh, I don't know where John got that idea from, but you know, he, and uh, hmm. then he put it on and <clears throat> you know walked around with it for a bit, and then uh, we went home and he said, you know, we should do this. And then uh, eventually he chickened out of it. He said, I'm not going to do that. But um, I was um, renting camera gear from uh, a company that uh, John Ward was involved with, and John Ward was one of the um, 
first uh, English Steadicam operators. There was very few people. I mean, it was at that Didn't time, it was around 19, 1976 was the first Steadicam. So this would be 1982, 83. Did John Ward do Full Metal Jacket? Yes. Okay. I knew I'd heard his name. <clears throat> yeah. He was he was one because the French guy, oh, wish I can't remember his name, did a lot of it. So yeah. John is actually in the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yep, he's in the movie as a sort of news cameraman ah. uh, with a an Ari 2. <laughs> um, it's the most bizarre movie, I have to tell you, that, that movie. So John has, has a lot of stories of... I haven't seen him in many years, actually. I'm, I hope he's okay. I don't know. I haven't seen him in a long time. But there was, you know, there was Jan Pester, John Ward, Nigel Curtin... Um, Peter Robinson, and that was pretty much it. And the Steadicam operators in in back then. So it was not a um, a device that people were, you know, very keen on. It was looked at as a, very much a gimmick. And um, I thought this was uh, an interesting thing to do, partly because nobody wanted to do it. Can you believe that today? Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, it it was hard work, you know, something you had to apply yourself to and to, um, you know, really focus on, and 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 people are just not prepared to do that. And they and it was regarded as a bit of a gimmick, you know. People mm-hmm. would just call it in to do running shots or to do stairs. That was uh, pretty much its um, its use, or, or the way that English people would. Uh, you know want to use it so you know it was thought of as very much a gimmick and uh but i thought of it as um pretty amazing uh its potential i saw its potential at that time and i also thought the fact is it was a good thing that nobody else wanted to do it because i was prepared to uh put the time into um to develop it it you know but i so at that time john had owned it was owned had owned a, was a mark one and he wanted to to upgrade to a Mark III, and I can't remember why or how, but he knew that I was interested in it. And John Lane, who was the cameraman that I was with, he he um, he pulled out. He decided he didn't want to do that. It was just like going to be too much, too much like hard work. So he wasn't uh, interested anymore. So I was left there. And John said, "Hey, you want to you want to buy my Mark One off me?" And I went, yeah, sure. So I, I had a partner, and the two of us spent the princely sum. I think it was about six thousand pounds. It would have been about eight grand uh, dollars, you know. Well, at the time, maybe more like twelve. Twelve. Th- it was two to one. Oh, there, I don't know. Was it? Wasn't I, it? I, no. <clears throat> yeah. Whatever. Anyway, it wasn't a lot of money, really, when you think about it. I mean, for. It was okay, so... But you were a young guy. I mean, you know, how old were you, would you have been in your 20s, right? Or You were just out of college, right? Mm, I was... Uh, let me see. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I'm not trying to ask your age. I, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> was it 83? I'd have been 29. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> um, so when you... I was going to ask, when you first tried it, did you feel... You know, some people feel better with it on than others, right? And I've seen people put it on and go, ah, get it off me. And other people put it on and go, okay. You know, which, which were you one of those or somewhere in between? Or Oh, I can't remember. No. 
Okay. I just, um, I just, I, you know, because I, I, so we worked in this place in Newman Passage, and I would put it on, or and when I wasn't doing anything, I would just put it on and wander around the workshop with it all the time. So, right. Um, well, you had you had cameras there and stuff, right? So you yeah, we had we were a camera on. rental house primarily, right? But we'd also do we had we had lines for for doing fees. We had edit edit hmm. bays, and we had a little uh, voiceover studio. When we had a little um, talking head studio. Oh, okay. And also downstairs, we had two rostrum guys we had a guy called ken morse who's the most credited guy in english television who is uh, um an amazing uh, i'm i say that now i mean ken's got to be nearly 70 i he probably done and john leatherbarrow was the other guy there was two guys the there's two ways of doing animation there's like stop frame animation and then there was free running animation so if you're doing documentary films um, you got a lot of uh, photographs a lot of the time or a lot of artwork or whatever. So what you need to do is to get this on the film. All films were done in 16mm. The mm-hmm. documentaries were done in 16mm. The BBC had a department had six Rostrum cameramen and they would do what was called free-running animation. So instead of doing it frame by frame, which takes a long time, and it's usually done with 35mm, they would have a bench with and the, they have a camera above that bench which had a little zoom lens on it with an electrical zoom and they would align uh, the artwork up on it and you could drive the artwork to a position and while you're running the camera at, ver- at whatever speed to do your zoom in or out or movement across artwork and you can do multiple moves as well so there is a a, a limited band of people who would so do you this. move the you move, move the, the art. artwork underneath the camera's fixed looking straight down right. with a zoom lens on it sure you right know, you can ch- they used to use ari sts okay and they're little 12 to 1 new lenses which are all marked out you don't look through the camera you only look through the camera to line up the artwork sure and then you would do a move to but you wouldn't really it. know what you were doing you just know that you're going from a 20 to a 40 or something right absolutely but you wouldn't see it absolutely you wouldn't see it so strange no exactly and then it's even more strange is dear ken used to work with a parrot on his shoulder so the people would come up to me all the time yeah he had this this parrot called charlie (laughs) they used to work in the basement and uh, you know somebody made a documentary about ken i mean he's a really interesting character Uh he was the first person i can probably say i mean ken god bless him Uh, fantastic guy um He's the the first person to be sued in England for paternity by a man, because usually it's the woman. He dad was in the West Country, so I'll be careful what I say, you know. Anyway, I mean, it was in the middle of um, not the National Enquirer, but the 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 version of the National Enquirer in um, in England, and so Ken had to get the hell out of uh, Bristol and the West Country, and wow. he moved up to London at that stage. <clears throat> and then everyone used to think he was gay because he was kind of flamboyant, mm. but he was not at all gay. He was, ex- he was a, a rabbit. He was great. I mean, maybe not for the women, but they all loved him. But and he had plenty of girlfriends. It was quite amazing. Which so how did he and get worked, sued he for with paternity? And, I'm well, so because confused. he got this woman. He got this woman, this married woman, over his rostrum table in Bristol. <laughs> 
I don't really need to say anymore. Okay, okay that anymore. makes sense now. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the, the husband sued him for paternity. I got it. And that was the first time that it happened, and it, you know, was a big splash. In the Did the husband win? You know, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. But anyway, so Ken was a great, you know, uh, uh, mentor for me. Uh, I and John, who one of his great claims to fame is he did all the um, test work for uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And really, uh, yeah, they did. They would do, you know, you would do um, line drawings, and it would do, do. They would do test frames, and so they would test out animation before you do the full gels. You do, you know, you would do the drawings, and you would test that and make See sure that worked. And then they would do the gel frame animation. So John did all that work. He did. It, he did it in a, a lot of the uh, places that where film is in Europe are also in the red light districts. I mean, you know, Soho is no exception. Mm. And we were in Soho, and John had a, a little room above a brothel, I think it was, and he had a, a an Oxbury um, animation. To, he had to cut the legs off it to get it in the room because with the animation, the the anamorphic lens that they had to use, you know, the focal lens was such that you know it was too close to the ceiling, so they had to cut the legs off it. So he had to do all of that stuff on his knees. I don't think he got the credit for it all. I wonder what those guys are doing now because everything is now, um, you know, it's all computer. So, that, yeah. That, and the that thing is, I don't think it converts well. It's not like if you're good at all that stuff, you you don't suddenly become a good computer animator, right? <laughs> I mean, you know what good animation yeah, looks no, like. Well, but, you know, he was the technician behind it, you know, like to do the dissolves and right. the moves and stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole different ball of wax. I know he went off to ca uh, Japan for a while to do anime stuff at one stage, you know. Hmm. But I, I've kind of lost contact with those people. But those two guys were the guys who introduced me to film and film cameras. So really, you know, back 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 in the early 80s. Yeah. And then and John introduced me to the Steadicam. And then, you know, I I bought his Mark One and I had it. And then eventually I bought a, a Mark Three, you know. And um, and at that time, that was when uh, music television was getting going, and I managed to uh, to do a lot of music videos back in the day. Of course, they don't do them anymore. So it was a it was a it was a moment in time. I actually consider myself to be quite fortunate to be in a you know in a place that was you know where there was. A lot there of was work. work you know? Yeah. So that was really And not good. that much competition for you, it sounds like. Five or six. <laughs> My main competition, God bless him, who I've only ever, ever spoken to once, was Peter Cavaciuti, who's just done 1917. Well, I'm not sure how much of 1917 he's done. He did, because there seem to be a lot of people. I don't know if you've seen a I lot haven't of the seen work. it yet. I know. I need to. I need to. Well, it's half of it is uh, Ariflex have this new camera stabilizing system which two grips or can carry around I don't I haven't, I haven't seen it I know that they that Ari built special cameras for the production really yeah wow yeah, yeah. there was my my next door neighbor is about to get an Oscar for that movie so we're we're all keeping our fingers crossed Dennis is Dennis Gasner is the designer he used to work for the Coen brothers he's my neighbor and uh 
he said to me last year, he said, we're not doing the Bond film. I said, oh, Dennis, why is that? He said, no, we're going to do something else. We're going to do 1917. Uh, really, what's that? I said, so, and I, I said, that's about Passchendaele being a, a student of the First World War. And he said, I don't think so. But Dennis not being a student of the First World War. So I actually... And you were correct. Huge... No, no, I wasn't correct. Oh, oh. No, it's about the Flesquare salient. Um, yeah, you should, you should check out the movie. I need to see it. I know. I very much need to see it. <clears throat> I think that um, it'll probably get the Oscar, but it's not my favorite movie of the year. Parasite, I think, is the best. Do you? Yeah. I th- well, I haven't seen 1917, so it's not a fair comparison yet, but... Uh, Jojo Rabbit is my favorite. I saw Parasite, liked oh, it very much. Jojo Rabbit, I thought was pretty pretty fantastic too. Yeah, they were up in arms about it last week at the NPR critics thing they do every year, and people were, you know, people are just never going to accept satire. I mean, other than Mel Brooks did the producers, so you know, he's. It's not as if people haven't done satire on Adolf Hitler, but uh, Jojo Rabbit, I. I must say, I was it's, pretty, very, pretty good. The performances are unbelievable, and the writing is so perfect. And the the way he, the way the tone shifts. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there are certain points in the movie where the tone shifts from being very funny and happy, and then very dark, dark very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And to in in order to make that shift, you have to be a pretty skilled director, and I think he did a great job. Yeah. I was yep. impressed by it. Yep. Parasite's great too, but there's there's less heart to it, don't you think? Uh, I, I liked it. It was uh, it was Shakespearean, so I I mean I kind of liked the the craziness of it, especially at the end. People were saying, "Oh, that's why they didn't like the movie," but I said, "Well, that's why I like the movie," you know. Right. So I um, always say, you know, we'll if find you, out tomorrow if well, nobody disagrees about a movie, <laughs> then it's not a good movie, right? I don't know. Well, no. I, if it's bland, it's bland, and then everybody oh, goes. Oh, well, hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but if yeah. you disagree and you say, "Oh, I like the end," and they say, "No, I don't," but I like the beginning and this and that, then you know you're talking about something that is at least worth talking about. <laughs> oh and, yeah, you know the, there are many ways of um, you know putting a, something on a screen. Where you've just got to keep people interested, or informed, or amused, or or something for. A, two hours or less hopefully less but yes that's what a movie is and it can be anything you like you know mm-hmm. yeah um so you brought up 1917 you did a movie that's like uh you, you were talking about cloverfield mm-hmm. um how was how was that done was it i mean <laughs> oh god that's such a broad question but uh, you know so the idea of that movie for anybody who hasn't seen it well I haven't seen it either but so <laughs> the um, the premise was that there are a bunch of um, office workers who are um, one of their friends is going off to um, work in Japan I think and they're, so they're having this party and, and during the party um, some alien monster lands and destroys New York so they you know they run away from these monsters and um the whole film is about one of the characters who films it all on a a little profession a little amateur video camera handy camera yes so um that's all very well and good but um you know there are 
problems involved in doing that because you've got a lot of CGI. And at the time, they could only, I probably still the case, they didn't have 4K little hand cameras. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the film was shot with a hand camera by one of the actors. Yeah. And then Bobby Altman was the, God bless him, was the camera operator. And he um, spent a lot of research on it and he tried to tell them he said, you know, we can't really do this like a, 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 a real person because it's going to go on a 40-foot screen and people will become seasick if they watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, oh, that's not, that's not how we see it. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't involved in any of these conversations, but I know that Bobby had done a lot of research and he had stated that he thought that they'd have to be quite... Um, conservative in their shaking mm-hmm. because people would just throw up in the uh, audience but I mean the, one of the problems with it really was that um, you know Bobby Altman is a professional camera operator and then halfway through the, m- the movie he broke his shoulder and I got a call to come and cover for him which I did so the, the, you know, the, the problems that we had when we would suggest or do things was that we were the um, the professionals who knew how to do it supposedly and therefore we were doing it wrong because we were not supposed to be professionals <laughs> it was supposed to be an office person but, right but we can do that you know so i mean i would always you do stuff especially in uh sort of joining pieces where you just don't want to just be pointing the camera at where you're going so you would sling the camera off to the side or you'd You'd film your feet. Sure. You'd, you know, you'd, so, but you had to do it in a, I had to do it in a repeatable way because the director and would come down and say, can you do that a little less or can you do that for a little longer or can you, so they would have to critique it. So all that uh, random stuff is not at all random. It's all Right, of course. Planned, <clears throat> of course. Know, and all, it's all critiqued to the last m- millisecond. You know, so. <laughs> even, the, even the actor doing it... No, the, he was doing it. I mean, he would just do it because he was the actor, so he was okay because he wasn't a professional, so I whatever see. he did was okay, <laughs> except for shooting the lights, which, of course, he'd do every now and again because he wouldn't really... No. So He's I, not I, thinking I, about I have the to say, you know, right? I haven't actually seen it, but, um, but it is an example of a... A, a film like Rope or like the uh, not the arc the arc really is different because that's actually is one shot the Russian arc right the Russian arc yeah yeah I've seen a bit of that I haven't seen the whole thing I saw that with I think about 40 other operators at uh, where were we not film tools one of those spots right. they had a little screening room and um, uh, Tillman Bootner, the guy who did it showed up and showed us a screening of it he was a very nice guy um but the movie i mean as a as a piece of steady cam work it's impressive as hell and very good well i just feel sorry for him you know yeah i thought I, I did um well he was the dp too oh really so the whole yeah. movie's dubbed oh my god he's on a radio the whole time for example they yeah. were heading towards this big ballroom scene yeah. i don't know if you remember that part he yeah. had lighting balloons one of them went out. His gaffer calls him on the radio. We lost the lighting balloon. And he's trying to fix that 
with them tell them what to do at the time <laughs> while he's doing the shot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Yeah, that's that's not that's not a good idea. No. And they only had one chance at it. So as I mean, it's so impressive because they only got one full take. One take and they got kicked out of the building. Yeah. They they had one that the yeah. thing broke halfway through and then so finally they got one take. So it is impressive, but it's still boring. <laughs> well, yeah, that's you said that's where you know um these invisible cuts help you know on mm -hmm. 1917 is doesn't you you don't notice the invisible cuts so much as you do in some and like rope is very obvious you know i mean mm. it's basically on a dolly and well they also had less they didn't have less, effects to cover things up and none at all no. blur or blend right uh birdman i noticed when they went from steadicam to handheld it could be very jolting but i remember that but i only really noticed that in my second viewing of it the first viewing i don't i mean i i was very impressed i i did i thought chris harpers were not uh treated very fairly given the 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 amount of respect for it that you know he deserved he, he wasn't credited for it properly i don't think I told him I thought it was great work. I mean, I just it made me feel exhausted watching it. But yeah. I don't, um, I don't, I don't think it was like um, a very good choice of a way to do that movie. Actually, whereas, oh really? Whereas 1917, you it somehow it seems to fit hmm. the idea that that you know you're with you like the third person. You're the you're the third person with these two people who are, who are going through all this stuff mm -hmm. um, and it kind of it kind of worked for me for that and then and I think they they spent a lot of time to Sam Mendes paced it very well mm -hmm. I mean they built the sets around the dialogue they would go out into the field and see how long it took them to do the dialogue and they would and do the dialogue and then they would say okay we need to put a dug out here or we need to put a, a turn here and so that they taped it out and then Dennis designed the set around it so Unbelievable. it happened with from the script birth and you see it and it's like well also Birdman is also a, um, a theatrical play and so Sam is a, a theatrical director and it's very much a piece of theatre well obviously if you've got no cuts it, it then becomes a piece of theatre right so, you know which is kind of what I like about the Steadicam in a way you know and I would say that you know you really because it, it those big shots they're they're theater you know the first thing was um ted's also connectivity as well if you with with 1917 you know you start with this tree and you don't get out of it other than the fact gets the guy gets knocked out and it's there's some cheats in there but you know it's basically one Right, one, one place, one pace, <clears throat> one 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 moment in time. Right, this is pretty good. So you said you didn't like Birdman being done that way. Why is that? I just didn't feel it was correct. You know, I didn't think it it um, gave a service to the actors in a way. They just, I think it was compromised. It didn't feel it didn't feel right to me. Hmm. You know, interesting. I liked the, I like you know I I, it, I enjoyed it. You know, yeah, but, yeah. But I just felt that it was not a good choice to do. It. If, you know. Yeah, I get you. 
Um, and speaking of you, you you mentioned big shots, and <clears throat> we may I've been waiting to ask you about the the Boogie Nights shot because I love the Boogie Nights shot, uh, the opening s- uh, sequence of Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty famous shot. I heard uh, it's been a while. I heard something. The reason uh, did you come up with the tilt? Uh, 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 sorry, the <laughs> okay. So we well, all right, okay. <laughs> The Dutch. I get asked about this a little of bit course you over know. the years. Yeah, <laughs> and um, the uh, the first part of the the movie on the opening frame it starts on um, the marquee of a cinema, and the words the title of the movie Boogie Nights are written on that marquee, and um, the film is set in the San uh, San Fernando Valley in the 70s so uh, the name of the theatre is in fact it is the name of the theatre it's the Reseda Theatre it's on Reseda and Sherman Way in the valley so it's right in the middle of the valley and uh, so um, the theatre is boarded up these days but right next door to it is a, was a brand new Exxon mobile gas station so um the cameraman said to me, he said, okay, this is what you got. You know, we were shooting on a anamorphic 60 mil lens. And he said, you got to frame that pointing at the Boogie Nights um, marquee sign. And he said, you got to film. We need to film the receder, which is written um, vertically. Vertically. <laughs> and they said, and, you know, you can't shoot the Exxon Mobile station and then you got to pick up the car across the road so he said you can come back on it and you can push in or you can come down or you come across it he said i don't really care what you do he said you can dutch it if you want he said so he suggested rolling the camera over to the left and then sliding down and i said well if you do that then receder which is written vertically r at the top would be on the wrong side of the frame so you wouldn't be able to read it so right you have to slide kind of that weird yeah it's like slide. the opposite thing the right. opposite thing so that you can actually read receder from left to right rather right. than being upside down or right so and then i just you know drop the camera down because there's people coming out of the theater and you you can you can just see there's a gas station in the top of frame if you look really carefully, but you can't see Exxon. the brand new pumps, and you can't right. see the the awning with the Exxon Mobil stuff, and which then, did uh, not you, exist in the seventies. You pan across to the, and now they the just kids. shoot it and remove it. Well, yeah, you know this is no, not a big budget. No, I know. I, 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 no, it's not any of that. And then, yes, and of course we wouldn't. Uh, well, there's a certain amount of. Uh, uh, creativity that comes you know uh what's the but the funny thing about it is that somebody decided to do a lecture at the los angeles international film school about this shot okay um i didn't attend the lecture and i nobody asked me about it you weren't invited so it's one of those things you know they they tell me they tell me that um this very strange move at the beginning of the film is um, really to show the um, 
um, dysfunction or the confusion of the lead actor. And this is a uh, visual way of conveying this to the audience that something strange is going to happen with the lead actor. So I thought this was quite amusing because I thought, well, do you, and, and I've just told you, you know, why in fact the shot is like Which that. I had heard of before, not in the detail, but oh, somebody, had somebody had told me that, but probably yeah, yeah, someone yeah. who you told, probably another Steadicam operator, I think. Well, I know, and I knew people, I've met people who've been to, to that film school and that was conveyed to me. I mean, I don't know if it was That's how so much funny else they, was they, on it, but yeah. They, so they're telling you about the shot. Well, it's the same thing with um, uh, Apocalypse Now, you know. I mean, that shot where you introduce Marlon Brando is um, this amazing, dark tracking shot down this very dank hall with water pouring through and Storara's got these shafts of light with smoke. Track all the way down. And the first time you see Marlon Brando, you just see the top of his bald head and his hand wringing out the sweat in his hand, you know. Mm -hmm. So you think, wow, that's an amazing thing. Who came up with that? Well, the answer to that was Storaro came up with that. And the reason he came up with that was because Brando was totally unfit. He was totally overweight and he looked terrible. So Storaro said, well, just shoot the top of his head. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, that was the answer to that. You know, it's like right. these things are the necessity of whatever you, you, you're handed with. And then the same thing is true about the uh, the first part of that uh, that shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was what I was driving at before is like now they really would. They just say shoot it. We'll we'll erase it. You know, and and unfortunately that that leaves you at a point where you don't need to be. You don't need to creatively figure out a problem anymore. And that shot, part of what makes that shot so cool is that you had you did that in order to avoid the gas station. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, you know, I, although you know, it's a pretty good way because you're, um, you're seeing, you know, you're, you're seeing the elements that you want to see in the order you want to see them. Because I don't think, you know, when he, he suggested, mm-hmm. you know, pulling back and then going in, I just said, well, we were on a Titan anyway, on the top of a Titan. So that would have been a problem. And there's, um, there's, a, there's a central divide in the middle of that street. So you couldn't actually drive across there. And I'm sort of standing on the top of the Titan to do that. Right. So, um, so I think that, that, that it was a pretty good solution anyway, it, even if the gas station hadn't been there. It's still there, by the way. The gas station's still there. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I agree with you. It's a pretty good solution. But Okay, so the only other th- what you might like to know is, you know, there was a quite, a lot of, there's quite a lot of stuff that went on with that um, particular um, event. The first thing was that uh, they said it was going to be a seven-minute shot. So that, you know, produces all these problems. And then the other thing about it was there's a, there's a speed ramp to 40 frames at the end. I was going to ask about that, yeah. So, Which leaves you tethered at the time, right? Or was it wireless? Well, so the first thing was they said, well, it's going to be seven minutes long. And I said, well, okay, so that, that means it's more than a 500-foot roll of film. So I said let's 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 do a read through and they said nope uh, so joanna and me the script supervisor we did the whole scene the two of us we walked it 
because we were there for a couple of days doing other stuff you know we weren't just doing that one shot there and so Joanna and I did the did the scene between the two of us and we came up to uh, I think we came up to within five seconds of what it ended up with and it's it's not even four minutes it's like 355 or something no is it that long 320 or something oh is it okay oh jeez I don't do 355 it's far too long (laughs) (laughs) no no it's not it's it you know it seems like a long time it's not actually that long so so we said no it's not but they did actually end up you know um so the next the next problem was the speed ramp. So, uh, well, did you end up fly? Did they force you to? You still flew like a four hundred footer, right? Or did you? Did no, they make you had, fly a thousand? No, footer? hang on. We were using a movie cam for the B camera, and they had lightweight thousand foot mags in Florida. So they flew those out just in case. So, so they flew out the lightweight thousand foot mags. So I put that together. So the next thing was that you can. On the movie cam compact, you can um, put in two film speeds. So mm. there's a push button on the side, and you just push the button, and it goes from one speed to the the next speed. Right? Okay. So there's you know the boards are in there. It's fairly simple. It's an you know like by from today's standard, you know. So I took the board out and I uh, got a piece of zip cord and I soldered over the the push button terminals and ran as a, a piece of zip and put a bell push on the back and I could stick that on my back so when you hit the bell when you ring the bell it changes the camera speed to 40 frames so that was so that was solved in that respect except for the cameraman said because I said well you know okay so you can you know have to solve the aperture aspect in post you know you just have to print it oh no we can't do that so then we went to Panavision so then we (laughs) We elbowed the the movie cam for that shot, and we um, we used five hundred foot mags, and we got um, we you know you get the labs to pare down the rolls to five hundred feet. So we had five hundred foot roll. So that's how we ended up doing it. We used the speed aperture um, machine uh, from Panavision. We used a lightweight, and we used um, five hundred foot rolls. Right, but the speed aperture is. It wasn't wireless, right? Yeah. Oh, it was wireless at yeah. the time. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. But then you need a guy to push the button at the end, <laughs> which they forgot to do at least once. So, they, so the problem is okay. So, okay. Since you ask about it, you know the the real technical thing about the shot is getting off the crane. So, what I did was to avoid my ankles being broken, I got a piece of. Um, eight by four lumber you know like a tracking board um you know piece of dance floor and attached it to the the tongue of the the titan so um you can actually get the crane on the ground and you can slide the 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 arm along the 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 blacktop and you can get off the crane by the time you get to the end of the tracking board they can stop the titan and the arm and you can get off when it's not moving, but because everything's going, it was going. It was quite a far. Well, it's very fast dismount, so you can be released while the crane is still moving, mm-hmm. and you can run down the eight by four sheet, which is sliding on the blacktop, 
and by the time you get to the eight foot everything's come to a stop so you don't get your ankles broken so that was that's the technical <laughs> yeah thing I, you know it's just a way of dealing with a fast dismount i mean you need yeah no it's smart that 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 works out perfectly which way so was the arm which way was the arm oriented from the from the base of the vehicle so the base of the vehicle is next to the sidewalk and the arm is pointing out to the central reservation like perpendicular to and they do a left turn as well that helps too because that kind of slows the car down a bit so there's a pan in there so it's a little slower Uh, but I almost ran across the street I had to pretty much run across the street to catch the car because the car's pulling in. Oh, was it? So you got off that far away. So I, I, off, I was going to ask yeah. you how long you went on the on the crane before you got off. About uh, half a block. Oh, wow. Okay. Suddenly, it's actually because I, mean, I, my sister was visiting and we were we went up to the Northridge Market, which is no longer there. Sadly, bought a lot of nice artwork in the Northridge flea market. Mm-hmm. And we were driving down Reseda and I went, oh gosh, there's this place. So I, so I uh, we pulled in and had a look. And I actually filmed there some couple of years ago too in a, a restaurant, a couple of um, doors down. I said, you'll never guess what's around the corner. So I had a look at it and it actually looked a lot smaller than uh, I had imagined it. I mean, the film kind of makes it look bigger than it is. But um, the club is now uh, a religious establishment. <laughs> it was closed. I don't know what That's it is. Funny. It's kind of a, a charity, a religious charity or something. I don't right. Know, some sort of weird place. What was it at the time? Was it a working club? Uh, no, it had been a club. It was it had been a famous club. I think it was. I don't think. I think it was empty. I think it was empty. Mm. Well, it's just so great because of the way. It introduces the characters, you know. Uh, uh, most of the main players get introduced in that shot. They all do. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bill isn't. No, Mr. Macy's not there. I saw something the other day. They were going on crazy about the the execution of... Well, he shoots himself. And um, this is the thing. This is what I've been complimented on that shot, too. Of course, it's handheld. I had nothing to do with it. I was going to ask you if you had anything to do with it. <laughs> no, I no, no, I had nothing to do with it at all. No, and the producers came up because they did 80 takes over two nights. Who was the operator? Robert. He did, he, oh, okay. He, he did it. But, yeah, then that was a thousand-foot mag, and, and then he did it all handheld. And, it, and, it, and there was 80. The big problem with that shot was... Uh, they were using these squibs that you could, well, they were kind of like air, you know, like a, a paint gun squibs. So they were shooting the actors in the the utility room who were having sex on top of the dryer. Or yeah. Was it the washing machine? Anyway, so um, they had these squibs that they could shoot onto flesh and they weren't working. So that was the main problem with the uh, with the, the the Bill Macy shot, yeah. It wasn't anything to do with the actors or stuff. I mean, yeah, the actors are really good. You know, with the with the um with the opening shot, we we didn't have any problems with the actors at all. They 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 were great, really good. Easy. Just just do it all again. It was was, was the problem with that shot was um the um the lights for Mark Wahlberg at the end, who's like he comes over the table and he looks up over the camera and we go in on him 
and he had to be lit. <laughs> well, of course, the lights had to come in around the camera and they had to come in a, across the dance floor. So most of the time, a cord would get stuck with somebody or it get pulled out and the light wouldn't get there in time. So, and there was, I know I remember one time I had to, I was wearing a recorder on my back and the cable got caught in the crane. One time I got hit by an extra going into the club. So Wait, that, what were you what were you wearing on your back? A recorder, a video recorder. Well, we had a oh, it, like a clamshell or yeah, yeah, right, right. So they could play back. Yeah, but we didn't need to because actually they were they could get a a VH, They got a, a good enough signal. Oh, they so did. So they didn't need to do to oh. do that. But I did have that anyway. So oh, gotcha. Then that got caught on the crane one time. And one time I got hit by an extra. One time they forgot to ramp to 40. Wow. And the rest of the time, the lamps didn't get into position or the lamps got pulled out. It was all about the lamps, really. That was <laughs> So how many takes was it? Well, you know what? I don't remember, but I, it wasn't very many. It was probably eight, something like... I okay. think I seem to remember it something like eight, but it was twenty more than 20 years ago, so I don't you know. But yeah, it wasn't a lot. It was. It wasn't. It didn't take a long time to do that. We did it. I think we did it. Maybe just up to lunch. It was half a day, I think. Right. Huh, that's not bad. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, <clears throat> that's not bad, especially with all those moving parts. And I noticed you you had to get really close to Bert when you come through and around and lead them into the. Well, it seemed close because you're on a. Your anamorphic, yeah, well, but it was that was, you, but now that I'm was, thinking that, about you almost had to run getting across the street and then right into that and then <laughs> backing through the door, yeah. No, no, I didn't back in. No, there's none of this back in business, what? It's a, I, I switched, oh, you switched, switched to Don Juan, sorry, I switched to Don Juan there, and then I went into a um, like a, a doorway to a cloakroom and then I switched back again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, there's your switches there. Yeah, you told me the other day you don't, you, Not often. you don't walk I backwards do. very often. I walk forward and backwards there, but I, I kind of avoid the backwards bit. Right. You can't see where you're going. So I'm not, I'm not keen with not being able to see what I'm doing. So yeah, but it's also quick. It was very fast that first bit. Yes, and you have to get a parcel. But they, you know, the people, people take time to get out of a car. I yeah. mean, we did, we did a, we did a shot on the previous movie which was um hard eight it was sydney when we did it but and and that was um that was originally called sydney right yeah that didn't that didn't make the light of day because um it started in the middle of the street it was uh, philip baker hall drives into this motel car parking lot so we're in the street he drives in we chase him in gets out of the car and then he goes up this stairway to the the balcony that is the second floor of this motel and it's about my gosh it must have been 50 yards or something and we were on the back of his head all the time yeah and there was problems with the studio i i mean i don't know the um, full story because i got it from other people so i i'm not a this is not a first-hand account but i know that they took them i think they took the movie away from Paul Thomas Anderson at, and then they tried to cut it themselves and then they f- they couldn't do it so they gave it back to him but there'd been a neg cut so that shot had, had been they'd cut the negative on it so that never made the f- final film really 
Well, here's the thing, you know, I mean, he, I don't know when Elephant comes in, because <laughs> there was a lot of people who wanted to shoot the back of people's heads for a while. Um, mm. You know, there was the shot in uh, Pulp Fiction at the back of Bruce Willis's head. It was, of course, there's the Brando, but that was before. Um, you know, that's a mistake. Well, Elephant did it a lot. Elephant, yeah, but they did, it did in a different way. It's like you're not actually right on the back of someone's head. Yeah. You can see the people they're relating more, to. Right. So, you know, they did it. It's more of a POV. There was almost. a time when everybody just wanted to be right behind somebody and right. shoot them all the time. So anyway, so we're following Philip Baker Hall for, well, I've got to be nearly, nearly about probably, you know, good size motel from one end to the other where Gwyneth Paltrow is in the, in, in the room. And she's right at the other end. So we, we go from the street all the way down the parking lot. He gets out of the car. We go upstairs behind him, try not to shoot his ass. And then right on the back of his head all the way down until he gets into the, well, he gets into profile before he goes into the room. But, you know, that didn't make, that didn't make the cut because, you yeah. know. But it's... I, Would it have been in the movie if the negative didn't get cut? Do I you know? don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just well, do, I, I, I do these things, you. but I mean, you know, like you, you can. Well, you knew about why. Unless you're gonna, unless something amazing is going to happen, you know, or there's a, a, a wonderful moment for a composer to do something there, or uh, you know, there's got to be, you know, you you got to be able to increase attention there. It's got to be something there. That's. Mm -hmm. I'm not the. I just I just point the camera, mate. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Well, Paul likes those long takes, you know, and it it started with those movies. Well, then he discovered two thousand foot roads, and he would improvise on them. Oh. There's not much of it. There's a piece when we introduce um, J.C. Riley at the pool, John Riley's character. There's a there's a bit where um, Burt Reynolds goes into the back of his house. And then Mark Wahlberg, I think. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is there with, behind this bar that's by in the pool. That was all improvised. I mean, none of that was scripted, and that's in wow. the movie. Yeah, oh yeah. And I'm and I and I think, I th that's a four minute take. I'm st I I stood there for about you know like two and a half three minutes each time, at the end of it. Oh, so he had you and I didn't. Re I'm thinking. I can't remember. I know that we went. I know that we went through the house. And out to the pool. And uh, and I'm in front of him, and I think it's a whip pan, and then and go up and you find the two of them at the bar, and then they're 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 kind of jiving with each other across the bar. That's all improvised. That's one of his pools improvised. I'm not going to say cut bits. And that's all in the movie. But um, for the most part, those kind of things don't usually make the cut. You know? Right. I mean, I used to work with Mike Lee. You know, people used to say, um, oh, you know, let's do that improv stuff like Mike Lee does. Well, Mike Lee doesn't improvise on set. He improvises in rehearsal. And then he writes script from rehearsals. But uh. he doesn't improvise on set, you know. But it seems to be very popular to riff. Right. At least some stuff I've done recently, you know. More, more in comedy, they do that a lot too. It's like, you know, they start throwing out lines and 
seems to be popular you know yeah yeah it does it does uh not for us sometimes when we're handheld or we're in the rig and standing there waiting uh, i know it can be a little painful i've got a i've got a whole rig for dealing with that for handheld you know standing there forever mm. with zoom lenses on and whatever but you know um were you involved in the shot where the camera ends up going into the water i designed the rig oh did you really yes i did and so can it's a shaky cam rig so what it was well the problem with that was it was um you know so an ari three in a hydroflex housing and of course there's no space in the hydroflex housing for uh an aperture control you can just put the focus in there's no way of controlling the aperture in the hydroflex housing so um we had to do you know the, the it goes underneath an awning so there's a big big stop differential in in it you know so mm. Robert says we can't do this we can't do this so we first off so what I did was I got um to build we built it as a speed rail shaky cam rig with a hydroflex on the bottom of it and then um hanging it yeah okay oh yeah that's the right way to do it yeah that makes sense yeah so it took when you pick it up the damn the, the the speed rail contorts so but anyway so how heavy was it it's very heavy <laughs> 100 and oh yeah absolutely 200 pounds yeah it's probably uh it's somewhere between 100 120 something wow. it's okay. heavy you know you've, yeah, yeah. you've got the 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 hydroflex housing itself is not exactly light right partly because you know things are going to sink underwater of course we've so be weighted so we had two um underwater monitors one on each end of the, sh the shaky cam rigs about eight maybe six seven feet of rail cameras in the middle and then uh, I marked it all out, you know, they, where we got to go because you go to various spots. And you know, yeah, Rob, there's like three different two shots Rob, or three Robert, shots, right? Robert's not. I mean, I. So anyway, so we did it one time, and then we printed it out. And you know, as we're going into the pool, I said, "Well, you can't just go into the pool because if you just drop the cam in, if you've seen, you know, if you Steadicam guys, you've seen Garrett Brown's dive rig. You know, when you dive, you know, you get a complete focal." length change as you go into water and it, and if you go too fast it just looks like a cut right so you know we did that whole thing with the the woman getting into the pool and dropping in slowly and you slowly get under so you know that it's not a cut so that was important to yeah. do that and then we were actually we had airlines so we could go under but we didn't actually have to go under in the end because i can't do that i was sitting there, i was sitting down at the end at the bottom of the pool for a few hours trying to get the breathing together on the airlines and stuff I couldn't do that but anyway so we didn't need to have to do that oh. but um, yeah and it was you know it was, it's a derivative shot from iCuba a lot of the stuff in that movie is from iCuba I am Rush, Cuba I am yeah. Cuba yeah yeah, yeah. The, the Russian film Yo Soy Cuba yeah yeah, yeah. it's excellent excellent uh, unbelievable um, why was the rig like six or eight feet long it's it's more stable 
the longer you make the so plank, it's just for stability yeah yeah right okay. and also you know like it's well i thought maybe that was why i just wanted to i was yeah, curious yeah yeah, yeah. The, the longer you make it that was the whole thing is it uh, i can't remember who the is it san raimi i think it's san raimi who started doing that you you know you put a camera in the middle of a plank run like bejesus and the you get a pretty damn good shot you know right. and that's basically how he did that evil and, dead and all that yeah, right? yeah 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 so i that's really a copy of that but just the un, underwater version of it so as we're going in the as we're going into the pool they put a, you know two you know, about 50 pounds of, of sand on the top of the camera you know shot bags and sandbags to weight it down to get it under yeah so it's all you know it's kind of fun and I'm you know sure the funny fun. funny thing was they designed it so that we couldn't get a crane in there because I've done that. You know, I've done all that since with the with the the, the hydroscope. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And uh, you, of course, you can do it now with a crane. We couldn't get a crane in the backyard. They designed he designed the shot so it had to be handheld because you know it was like, why can't we do this on a crane? You know, so no, because he wanted to look this way and he wanted to look that way. And then, of course, they did it all again because. Quite rightly, you know, Paul said, it's got to be in bright sunshine. People are not going to go at the end of the day into this pool. It doesn't look right. So right. then actually I wasn't even there. I, I, I was, I, you know, I'm, you, but you guys, if you work in this business, you guys, you probably know this, you know, if you're doing Steadicam, you don't do anything very much. I think I averaged a shot every three days on that show. It wasn't. But they carried you full time? Well, yeah, you know, this is, this was the this was well wait, wait, 95 or 96 when we shot this i just i just come to america and and i just got my 100 days or and this was a non-union show oh that was non-union i don't on day one it went union okay so right. everybody worked out perfectly so daniel Luffy, who was the production manager, had all his people that he'd worked with and i'd worked with them before and i worked with joanne sellers in england i did a movie with um um, I can't remember his name now. Anyway, it was an American actor, and it was called Hardware. We killed him off halfway through, and that's where I met Joanna. So I knew them from I knew her from England. Daniel actually started working in New York, although he's English. And then I did um, a thing with Clive Barker, the name of which escapes me at the moment, and then. After that, we did Hard Eight, and mm. after that, we did Boogie Nights. So, you know, I'd done quite a lot with them. Had Paul made that, because he made a short film, it was the Dirk Diggler story or something, right? Which I've never seen. I think he wrote a script. Um, oh. I don't think he shot it. He, his short film was with Philip Baker Hall. I don't think it was anything to do with that. I mean, the, the, he did... Because I, I looked it up because I got asked to do. Um, somebody told me I was emailing some 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 years ago. They were wanting to write a book about all of this, and uh, they it was for Disney. And um, I I was trying to look it up today to see if it actually existed, but I think maybe they were conning me. It wasn't uh, didn't come to fruition. Hmm. But yeah, every now and again somebody asks about this movie. Yeah, I imagine they do. Um, yeah, and the inventiveness to do those shots and the willingness of the director to say, no, this is, let's just do it this way. When somebody says, oh, it'll be easier if we do this or if we just don't do this, then we can use a crane, it'll be better. 
And he says, no, this is the shot I want to do. Let's do it. And then it's got to be sunlight. I mean, it can be, you know, if they're wrong. Well, it, then, you know, Much Ado About Nothing, the whole movie was shot in bright sunlight in Italy. And, uh, you know, I talked to the the produ- production designer about it because we did a whole wedding scenes in this you know, stark, direct sunlight. You know, I mean, it's in, in some respects it's cultural because I've worked with English people, you know, who live in this very dull climate, very overcast. overcast great right. for Steadicam. You can point the camera anywhere. It's all even. You can, you know, go look this way and that way. But when you come out to the bright sunshine, you've got to look in the right direction. Otherwise, it's going to look horrible. Uh-huh. But, you know, people see the sun and they go, oh, man, this is so great. And they like the stark light and they just, you know, it's just a cultural thing. So uh, it, was, it had been a decision by Kenneth Branagh to uh, to shoot that movie in direct sunlight, you know. And mm-hmm. the wedding scene, I talk, I can't remember who was the production designer. I said, why didn't we just build a, like a, a practical um, like silk that you know could have been decorative, that could have been over the top of the scene, and everyone would look great. He said, he said, yeah, I tried to do that, and that, that got nixed. Right, but you know that that shot that was the end of that movie. Um, Wasn't it? A, was there a crane step off in that? Was that the last shot? Oh or? no, no, no! We stuck on onto a. Uh, it's a condor, and it's a it was a articulating telescoping condor from Florence. We shot that in the house that supposedly the Mona Lisa had lived in. And um, hmm. it was, you know, still standing. It was a uh, in the basement was a, a modern winery, and then hmm. the, the, the the ground floor and the second floor were, uh, you know, as as they had been in Renaissance times, basically. Wow. And that was our location. So we, but they, we started shooting that shot at the end of the movie, um, at a certain time of day where the sun was pointing almost directly down where yeah. nobody ever wants to shoot at that time of day right. because they wanted the sun in the courtyard the sun the shot goes from the f- one side of the house through to the courtyard in the middle around the courtyard in the middle then goes out into the back ornamental garden and then um, we get on this crane driven by this wonderful Italian guy who'd never been on a film set and uh, he he took me up probably sixty odd feet, I guess. And um, you know we had to t- we had to, we had to we had to have a test day, obviously. So the guy was there, and you know my Italian is non bene, and um, so I could just about you know get through with him. And um, he was okay on the first day. We managed to do it all. You know, the hydraulics worked, and it, it managed to do what we wanted to do. But it's very touchy, you know, because you, those things are limited. You can only go to a certain speed. You can't go the speed you want to go. And then when you're up high, all it's doing is shaking. You can't see very much happening. So you know, I sort of pan the camera around because otherwise you just never see anything. And they wanted to see off across the top of the building. So you're right, third floor height, or, and, and and more. And then they ran the credits over the countryside above the uh, mm. the villa. So I spent those uh, things. The stops and starts on them though are terrible. Yeah. So you just had to muscle through the when he when it first started, huh? And the end. 
Yeah, he's, you know. I mean, it's fun. I did one. Well, you're I on did the rig, one, too. I did so. one. I, huh? You were on the rig, too, so it's less. Yeah, I did one when we were dropping down in the desert in Palmdale one time. And, of course, like, those, those condors don't hit the ground, so you've got to drop the thing down onto a platform yeah. or, or next to a platform and then the, the um, you know you get off on the platform because you can't you can't it's, yeah, it's, step up you there. have to like climb so up to those I remember right. one time we dropped down the condor down the car's driving up it's this baddies you know and you see the big dust trail as they're coming through and they pull into this parking lot and we're on the condor and we drop the condor down and all I hear is this shattering of wood as they drop the condor on top of this at these apple boxes and smash them all to pieces it's great <laughs> whoops oh yeah <laughs> it's not my best destruction story though but uh, what's your best destruction story okay uh, I can't remember the name of the movie or it was a TV show we had it's a scene we were shooting downtown Chinatown and uh, our heroes are supposedly in Hong Kong where they drive on the left mm-hmm. which is you know not what we do here <laughs> so they got this brand new Mercedes and they got this dashboard and they got the steering wheel and they put it on the right hand side and they took the pedals and they remoted them from the left to the right hand side of this Mercedes okay. so okay. that it would appear to be a left hand drive car. Uh-huh. It's the first time it's out on set. So we have two uh, riot uh, police uh, armored vehicles with big snarly fronts that can ram things. And our hero's car, they get in the car with whoever it is, and they're going to drive down one intersection. And Chinatown is like a there's a there's a cross of streets there. So we, you know, they take one turn, and they they um, see this armored vehicle coming at them. So they slam on the brakes, go in reverse, see another one, slam on the brakes, turn around, wheel spinning, and drive off. So uh, we set all this up and then the the first rehearsal you know we do it all slow that's fine you know, so everything's slow and they say okay let's do a full speed rehearsal so we do the first rehearsal and, and where we, are you are you oh I something? was just uh, doing a camera looking down from the roof oh so it's not a steady cam shot got it no okay oh. <coughs> oh, I'll leave that to, right, to other crazy people <laughs> Fair enough. No, there was three or four cameras covering it. You know, it's a stunt type sequence thing. Sure. So the the first thing they do is he rams, he puts his foot down, gasses it, and then it slams the front of the car straight into one of these armored cars, puts it in reverse. We're rehearsing at this stage. Slams it in the reverse and then runs the back of the car into a bollard. So and then we, cut, 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 stop, stop, stop. So we all walk down and we walk towards the car and the front of it is smoking and the back of it is all creased up and we look at it. They've you know spent all this time getting this stuff from England and all <laughs> rebuilding this brand new E-series expensive Mercedes. It's totally trashed. So that was, that was, that was my best destruction. Story. So was this the, the actor? No, it was a stunt, it was a stunt, stunt guy. guy. Yeah. And was he supposed to? What happened was he wasn't supposed to hit anything. No, no. Though, right? But what happened was that the linkage got stuck, 
so he put his foot on the uh, gas and it went and, and couldn't slow it, it down and he couldn't he couldn't slow it down because the the linkage had been you know j- jury rigged from the left hand side of the so car to the super right hand side sticky of the car. or whatever so he right. put his foot down full on the accelerator and it got jammed they hit the thing and then he decided to keep going because no one said cut so he did it put it oh, in reverse geez. put his foot down it got stuck again rammed it in something else and it was it was it was priceless. And, uh, priceless, priceless. So priceless. that's a wrap. <laughs> no, no, no. Our, our heroes all escaped on foot. Ah, rewrite. Quick rewrite. Yes, exactly. After it cost them $100,000 to do the car or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, they got plenty of money. They don't care, you know. <laughs> oh, somebody cares, but they do have plenty of money. I don't know. I, I, I'm, you're trying to be you know, sympathetic towards the plot. Oh, I'm of not the being. No, 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 no. But, no. Uh, but I'm being synth- sympathetic to the people who did all the work. Oh, okay. Right? You spend all that time doing the work, and then it, gets, it doesn't work out. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not sympa- sympathetic <laughs> to the studio that, that, that paid the money. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> um,. Well, it's like they blew up the whole street. What was it? Was a Michael Douglas film, war film in Holland, and somebody pushed the button and they built this street as a set, and they blew it up on a test day. The whole set, they very the good. Whole thing up. Yes. There's a there's a Marty Feldman movie where he sits on the plunger and does it. Was it Peter Sellers? Maybe it was an old Peter Sellers movie. But they actually did it for real in Holland. Holland one time. Uh, there was a story who told me this story from a big movie where they had a big out of control truck and they did the rehearsal and the truck actually went out of control and took out like five uh, telephone posts and mm-hmm. knocked the power out in downtown Los Angeles <laughs> like, yeah I forget what it was uh, I, th- I can't remember whether they told me that on the podcast or not but they it was, probably was Um now, I was going to ask you about another movie that I think was pretty early. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Do you remember that movie? The Wayans Brothers? I just did um, a, some pickup stuff on that. Oh, the, was that all it was? Okay. Yeah, so I didn't work on the movie. No. It, it was a very funny movie. That's why I was curious. Oh, yeah. Kind of a classic. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw it. No. I, it's a satire of all the yeah, Boys I, in the yeah. Hood and all those movies. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's. Uh, I've done a lot of that, you know. Just go in. I actually realized I worked with Roger Deakins twice, but I've never. I mean, I have met him. I but I I I did um, I did some stuff on Air America, mm. and I did some stuff on the Secret Garden, and the, the stuff on the Secret Garden was pickups or extra photography with Jerzy Zelinski, and Roger was nowhere near it. But it's his his movie and Air America was about uh, like a rogue MTV type station somewhere in the Southeast Asia. And I did some... Um, well, it was kind of about CIA moving. Well, yes, but yeah, it's I did um, a music video specifically for the to be shown on the plane in the background. Oh, okay. So that's 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 my that's my only connection to Roger. So. And that, I, but I looked it up and I went, oh, I worked on that. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but, uh, that's inter- that's really interesting. Um, uh, what else was I going to Oh, um, well, I'll ask you about that in a minute. You Did you do, you did 12 Years a Slave, correct? Okay. So um, a friend of mine, well, 
Sean Bobbitt, who's the DP, I've known for 35 years. I mean, Sean came as a student after he, he, he left film school. He came to England and he worked as a sound recordist and he was my sound recordist when I used to do news and documentaries. Mm. And um, we used to get up to some hijinks together. Wait, where's he from? He's from San Diego area. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I assumed he was English. Well, he was the head of the BSC, so you're forgiven. <laughs> He's been there for, um, I think his wife. I mean, I've known Sean since 1982. I've, I've known him forever. forever. Okay. He was at our wedding. Might have been, you know, my wife and I. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, Sean is a, a very old, good, very good friend. And... Um, uh, Dave Kamaitis has very nice things to say about him, as well. Well, you know, he's so he uh, he 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 said, "Can you come and do this movie?" And I said, "No, <laughs> I'm shooting something else, but I can do a part of it." So I did. It. I did a part of it, you know. And then um, Larry got you know got the real guy in to do do the the main bits. So yeah, Larry McConkey did it so great. But Sean does his own operating most of the time, and right, you know, he's he's great, um, you know. But he doesn't use operators, so so you just it's shot or two. I I did uh, two dance, well, dance party scenes where um, Chuatel is playing a violin in two different um, uh, evening events dances. And uh, so I did that. Mm. Yeah, that's my only contribution to that. I didn't actually put that big thing up on IMDb. They did that. I, I've been unable to alter any of that stuff. So uh, it's very it's hard. It's really Larry's movie. He he basically did all that great stuff in there. You know. So, gotcha. Okay. Um, but but Sean is a a very um, old friend. Yeah. So it's a long time to know somebody. 30, almost 40 years. <laughs> 30, 30 yeah, something years, yeah. You know, I have pictures. I have pictures with us in Tunisia. We um, we went out to um, interview Yasser Arafat after he'd been thrown out of um, Beirut by, um, by the Israelis invaded Beirut. So the Palestinians had to leave. So they ended up in Tunisia in, in a... Uh, in a beach hotel resort so we we get on a plane and we fly out to Tunisia because um I was working for a, an east um it was an Egyptian uh, e it was like a bit of a Dan Rather of of Middle Eastern television uh, and so I, I used to do stuff for him in London and so we had he knew Yasser Arafat from Cairo days they were both Egyptian Mm. And he said, we're going to go and do an uh, interview with Yasser Arafat. So I said, okay. So we get on this plane late one night. We land in Tunis. And there's another. There's other people on the plane. It's not just us. It's Christmas time, but it's, and it's kind of cold and whatever. So Sean is looking, you know, very American and hip and whatever. He's got like a leather jacket on and he's got like these cowboy boots on and... Uh, <laughs> He's got this like leather hat on, and I th and I or maybe I had the leather jacket on. Anyway, so there's this another guy in the, on the plane who's got the blue jeans, which is not you know, and um, so 
I've got a leather jacket on, maybe it looks like this other guy, and he's got a hat on that looks like Sean's. And then, you know, we get off the plane, we get through customs, and we get in the limos, we, we, we drive to the hotel. This other guy, of course, got off before us, and he checks into the hotel before us. And then we pull up, and this, he's moved off. But we see him get in from the back. Well, that guy turned out to be Morris Gibb, which meant that, according to the hoteliers, that meant that I had to be Barry Gibb and Sean had to be Robin Gibb by deduction because there are three BGs and there are three of you and you're English and you're checking into this hotel. And I and so they gave us the star treatment for about three or four days till they realised who we were. But they wouldn't take no for an answer. They, they would ask us for our autographs. I said, who do you think I am? He said, you're Barry Gibb. Uh, I guess all white guys look the same. Yeah. So I said, okay, you know. And every every room we went into, they put Bee Gees movie on, music on, and <laughs> it was kind of. It was kind Imagine of, and if then you we really said, were we in wanted, the Bee Gees. We wanted, we wanted, we wanted. Oh, it'd be great. No, you'd be so annoyed. Your music is playing. We were like, <laughs> oh no, I think I, I, I think it was fine. You know, I mean, I'm kidding. But it was funny though. It was very funny. Yeah, and we yeah. went up, we, we we would say, you know, we, we want to go for somewhere to eat. And the manager of the hotel would say, well, 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 I'll take you somewhere. So they would take us out, you know, and they would treat us like, they treat us like kings until they discovered who we were, you know, and that was funny. <laughs> and Sean and I went, we went, we went into Tunis, central Tunis one time. You know, we're just like film people, you know. And uh, so we, we tried to go into this hotel bar and they said, you can't come in here with jeans on. There was a dress code and then they wouldn't let us into any of the hotels. So, and of course, like it's a Muslim country, so there's, there aren't any bars or anything. It's only in the hotels. Right. So we ended up going on a brothel crawl, <laughs> and we would sit the bar in a brothel, and we'd order a beer, and then, you know, the, after a while, the ladies would start encroaching on the two of us, and then we, you know, we'd it'd get a little hot, so we would find the next brothel and Time have another go. beer. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> it was funny. That's great, and I, I mean, I think it, I think they have like they do here. They have a a few years where you can be the president at BSC, but Sean, he's got up there, you know. He's good, good on him. Yeah. Uh, how was Yasser Arafat? Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I should say, you know. Yeah, he's a good guy. I got a picture. He's a radio show. You don't want to see it. <laughs> You could send me a copy of it later. I'll show it to you. You know, you know <coughs> a young Sean Bobbitt because he's not like he doesn't look like that anymore. You know, he's not uh, not looked after himself too well. I mean, he's got the same smile. You know, he's the father of like three or four kids. He's done well. He's a good guy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But when Yasser Arafat, no, not interesting. What? I don't know. I'm just not going to say it on the radio. Oh, okay. That, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I got confused for a minute there. No, my, my it's apologies. okay. This is not my first interview, and I've made mistakes before. No, no, and I'm not trying to get you to make it's one. Okay. It's okay. It's fine. Um, and, <laughs> I always and, upset somebody. Oh, you won't upset me at all. No, no, worry. but, I, you know. Oh, if it went with what you say, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was another thing I wanted to ask you about that I saw, speaking of your IMDb, Too Old to Die Young. Did you do that? Too old to die young. With Nicholas Winding Refn? Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's not out yet, right? Is it? Or is it out somewhere? Yes, 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 yes. That's Darius Konji. Ah. God bless Darius Konji. He's a fantastic guy. 
I loved him to death. Um, so I uh, think I heard, if I may, I think a Dolly Grip, and he may have been talking about a different show. He was talking about the Andy? show, possibly. Yeah. But he was talking about this show that was everything was a lock off. Was that this show? No. Okay. He was but, talking about a different show then. But um, it's very much, you know, like Darius did um, seven. With, yes. With um, yes, brilliant Fincher. movie, brilliant movie. Yeah. So a lot of the Fincherisms that you get, you know, like you got to have the the lamp has got to be in the frame, out of the fra- frame, or you can have it's got to be cut down the stem of the 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 um, the middle of the lamp. You can have exactly half the lamp in. So it that's has, it. So it has to be there. So uh, the camera has to be. Uh, with no tilt so you have to have the camera so all a lot of his stuff it's not all the time but mm-hmm. he has a these are fincherisms that you right know, it's so sometimes so a lot of it so is, sometimes it's everything the verticals have to be absolutely vertical. all the time no keystone you never you tilt t- no so stuff is done with the 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 boom rather than the right um, so um a lot of this is darius well, I think, uh, you know, because obviously Fincher didn't start off like this. I, I actually saw him on Alien 2, Alien 3, Alien 3. three yeah. Um, but um, so this philosophy, and then there's kind of the Wes Anderson, like square stuff mm-hmm. and dollying par- perpendicular to the set all the time. So there's a lot of this stuff which is very much in... Um, well, I say it, you know, if you've seen Uncut Gems, which Darius also, I haven't. Yeah. Darius also shot, which I, I said to his assistant, Faith Brewer, and I said, Faith, you know, this isn't Darius, he doesn't, he's, he, I, this is really weird, because it's, it's mayhem from start to finish that movie, it's exhausting. Right. I mean, I thought Adam Sandler was really good in it, you know, and... I've heard good things about it, yeah. But it's not... Um, it's not Darius's kind of style. Um, so, you know, like he's very, very, very particular about the frame all the time. So well, I sat down, we had a, a, a nice breakfast at the Chateau Marmont and um, we talked about his, um, his French mother and his, um, his Persian father and how they met and he's a he's an absolute delight he's just the nicest guy and he's so cultured he's great and um, he said to me um, I'm very very particular about my camera operators and very hard to please and I said oh it's okay I, you know it's fine so um, and I said well I use a geared head all the time I said that's basically all I do is use the geared head so you tell me where you want the frame and that's where the frame's going to be and uh, so we got on great. Oh, that's good. But he doesn't use he doesn't use the geared head. He can't do that. So, but he did appreciate the fact is that, you know, like he'll want the you know an angle in the set to pass through the top left hand of the frame, the bottom of the frame. Also, want it absolutely a certain way. It has to be exactly the way he wants it. So, that's I can do that. Right. That's, you know, that's part of you know using. You're a professional. Well, it's not something that 
many people do anymore. I mean, that I've been told, said, people don't do this. And I just say, well, that's how I kind of learned to do it. And uh, I like to like to be precise in that when, you know, this is, I know this is not Steadicam. We didn't use the Steadicam on this show at all. He tried to, but, you know, there's a thing about, Darius only likes to shoot um, point of views with a certain focal length. Um, Which? Know, it's like a 35. Okay. Because that's the focal length of your eyes. Well, 32, 35, you know, so... But your eye doesn't look like a camera lens because you've got a spherical image plane behind it, which your brain resolves. So the f although the focal length of your eye is not a magnifying focal length, you know, the way the, the you perceive the right. eye on the back of the eyeball is just totally unlike any camera other than um, the only thing that's close to it is those... Re 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 the, Rotating lens cameras. I had an Anomalex for many years. I used to enjoy that. So that's mm. a ro that's a that's a sphere, uh, half circular uh, f image plane. So you know, the, there's long mm. debates about it. And the, Nick was saying, "Well, we need to be tighter. We need to see this guy across the street." So I said, "Well, you can put the 85 on or 150 or whatever, you know." And and then Darius would come running over. What are you doing? You know. So they would have that debate, but yeah, I mean, but then there's just a whole debate about seeing and perceiving and, and what you want to do. Uh -huh. And if you want to perceive something, maybe you should use a, a, a longer focal length because really what you're doing is you're not actually trying to replicate the eye. You're trying to say something to the audience. Right. But I don't, you know, I try not to get into these esoteric conversations with people of such uh, amazing standing as Darius Konji but I, I hear his his point of view you know yeah of course of course you pardon the pun but yeah <laughs> Darius what, is great yeah absolutely what, what is that show about <laughs> well yeah um, okay so um and it has been released, or or no? Yeah, it's around. I mean, it the, is? The, okay. the Amazon do dropped it. They didn't. Uh, they didn't like it. So. Um, oh really? They didn't promote it. He actually did. I think he cut uh, the first two or three episodes together to make a, like a movie, and he showed it at Cannes. Mm. It's very dark. I mean, it's it's very slow. Okay. You know, he was trying to reinvent if you're if you're a fan of nicks then you know yeah you probably a lot of people have, have uh, found out that i did it and they are more excited about that than the fact that i did boogie nights so you know really yeah because they're 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 riffing right. fans and right he, they saw um neon and uh, neon drive is his other one and if you're fans of that, then this is probably for you. But it's 11 hours. And we, I didn't do all of it. I did, um, I think I did about the first six or seven hours of it. And then Darius went off to do something else. Oh, Darius left. Yeah, and I, I left with Darius, really. I just, you know, I was just there for him. I mean, he's just great, you know. Mm. Just, a, just, a, just a dream. 
So Am- Amazon kind of buried this, huh? They did not promote it at all. Yeah, they had a they had a regime change. Well, I've heard about I think it. They had for... a regime change before we started shooting, and the only thing that survived the, uh, you know, the cull was that project. And uh. then uh, you know it was trouble. They threw a lot of money at it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, they were you know they backed it, and then at, at the end of the day, they just decided to walk away from it. Then it's it's available for streaming, but they there was no promotion of it. So, you know, I, it, it's funny because um, with the amount of stuff that's out now, you turn on Netflix almost every day, there's a new show or a new, you know, something on. But they always promote, you always get the same ones. I don't know if you, how much you watch streaming or anything, but um, I just watch the news channels. I don't. Okay. All right. Well, well on, on Netflix and Amazon, you'll see their shows a lot. Uh-huh. So you'll go through TV shows, movies, it, all their stuff's always first. And I've never seen this. I didn't know it was out. No. And I was anticipating it because I do like his other his other stuff. I'm, it's interesting. It's very dark, you know. But they really I, buried I'm not, it. I'm not, I'm not keen on that kind of stuff. You know, I find it really... Um, I find it upsetting to, to film that stuff, you know. We were in, a, is it, we is were in it, an ice rink for a while. And uh, I had all my Arctic gear on. <laughs> I mean, we were, you know, we were on the ice, yeah. and then we were also in off the ice, and there were people with, with not very much clothing on, and it was it was difficult. It was difficult for them, mm. and I just, I just, it just feels bad. I just don't, you know, mm. I don't feel good about it. Okay. I mean, I feel good about the work, but I don't feel good about the subject, the matter. subject matter really. And I think probably, you know, they're. Um, it's probably too slow for most people. You know, that's the problem these days. You know, you can't slow stuff down and, and keep an audience. People, uh, it's hard to keep them and people are scared of it. So you tend to find stuff is mm-hmm. is cut to pieces. I mean, I always think about when I see my stuff that it's a bit like seeing a, you know, a butchered child because the arms and the legs have been chopped off it and I think, you know that was such a beautiful move. You know why did they cut out of it there? So you know it's more often than not I'm you know disappointed by seeing stuff because I'm desperately trying to get the moves in before the cuts. You know butcher them, <laughs> which means that you've got to move at a certain speed, or you can only move so far, or you can you know you just want it to look as though it's supposed to be there and go to, together in a, a nice even way. So I'm always thinking about the editor. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the time is they just dive in whenever they can. I just remember we were up in Alaska doing this beautiful, beautiful piece. This guy, this Inuit guy, is coming up to um, this open uh, uh, part of this. We've got these whales trapped in the ice. They can't escape. There's this little breathing hole that they can breathe in still, and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So the, 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 the whale's going to die. And then the Inuit chief comes along in the skidoo, and there's the sun setting over the the, 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 the Arctic wastes, you know. And there's a the, the camera drops down very slowly, and then dolly slowly in. The guy comes in and he says a poem in Inuit to these whales, and um, man, they cut out of that move, and it was so beautiful. And I just thought, oh my god. 
So uh, we've all seen crane moves that have been destroyed. <laughs> and sometimes you think, you know, that was a beautiful move. Why on earth did you do that? So I do, I, a lot of time is I don't, I don't really like to see stuff I've done because, you know, other than just to check that it was okay. Because You'd rather remember that the shot, yeah, shot was good you know, and didn't yeah, get cut up. Yeah, yeah. I like to see my stuff. The dailies are fine, but then, then I just... What what show what show was that by the way with the Inuit and the whale? Do Big miracle, big miracle. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I understand, and and so few people want to want to. Well, let things also, continue. You gotta set a mood sometimes, and mm-hmm. I, so sometimes yes, okay, you you know cut out of something like that. But if it's in a, a sunset or you know in the Arctic <laughs> and it's a a slow m- a moment with you know one person who's you know you you don't want to it's a perfect time crazy. to have a we're nice one we're not yeah we're not doing MTV here you know <laughs> right so I was very disappointed about that you know yeah. I've been disappointed about stuff it's got me into trouble I just get you know oh my god what did you do with this <laughs> Yeah, I I once did a a oneer for a director for the opening of her movie, and um, uh, two girls running around a house down some stairs, this mm-hmm. and that, you know, and um, it was a lot of fun to do. And at the time, uh, it was her first feature, and we were shooting on film. Two perf, we did a lot of takes. It was great. And I said to her, um. Do you want to do uh, just in case a little bit of coverage? And she said, "No, I want to use it as one." And I thought, "Awesome! I'm so happy to hear that she's made a decision and she's gonna she's gonna use the one." And I thought, "Fucking great! How brave!" You know, and I use a lot of dissolves. dissolves. <laughs> well, it opened the like the L.A. Film Fest uh-huh. the next year or whatever, and she sent she invited me. And she said, um, I'd love you to come, but I need to speak to you first. I said, okay. Uh, so we chatted and she said, um, I have to let you know that the timing of the shot didn't end up working for me, mm-hmm. the opening shot. And I said, okay. She said, so I had to cut titles into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the t- I made it the title sequence. <clears throat> and I said, oh, that's okay. Uh, you know. And I just thought, fuck, they've still figured out a way to cut it. They <laughs> and cut, you know what? They, if it, they it, cut it then, or did they just ran titles over? No, it? they cut they cut black screen titles oh, into it. Oh, really? Yeah, and they um, had a song going, and then they in, in, or something, and um, mm-hmm. and she. But I mean, it's her movie. It's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like it's not like a producer or some executive told her yeah. to cut it. So but she made the decision, which is totally fine. But I was a little bummed out. Well, I, and also I thought, shit, why don't we do a little coverage for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I tell you, it's happened to me more than once. Of I, course. I mean, uh, they did that to me on um, a Freddie Prince Jr. movie, which was about four minutes, and they they just cut two pieces out one because there was a reference to Jesse Jackson and Miramax thought that this was going to cause them problems mm. so they cut that little piece out and then there was a they there was a piece with a minor actor raving that was part of it and they decided that they didn't want her in it so they cut they made two cuts in a four minute take uh. and made it into three insignificant shots and I looked at it and I went 
Yeah, okay, well, you know, it's a shame, but, you know, but the thing that really was bad was that then they worked again with the director and he said, you know, that the first cut of the movie had the whole shot in it and they have an audience report, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said one of the the main things that came up was love the big shot in the beginning of the movie. A lot of people in the audience had said how much they loved it, you know. Right. And so... um, People were aware of it and they and enjoyed it, and so there, there's some little person at Miramax had decided that um, that it was too risky to mention Jesse Jackson, so it, they, <sighs> they, they made that, and then they said, "Well, we shouldn't have this little actress in it." And I thought, "Hey, she's a character in the movie," so that went, and it it it, it was to the detriment of the movie, right? And I actually just thought, "Well, okay, I'll take this one on the chin." Uh, sorry, sorry, it's not there, you know. We're not talking about it now because it might have been if it had been in the movie. But hey, so it, you know, life is like that. But the the thing that was really the killer was that it had been in the movie and people had seen it and they had really and liked it. it. And then somebody cut it out. And then somebody cut it out. Yeah. So yeah, <sighs> you know, which which movie again was this? Oh gosh, I think it was She's All That. Or she's she's all that. I think it was she's yes. all that. I yes, because you said Freddie Prince Jr., right? Yeah, I did. I, a, I did a few movies with Freddie. Oh, okay. But I think it was she's all that. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, you know the movie by committee thing. Um, hey, just here to serve. <laughs> it's like, I mean the. No, but the, as boog- a- the boogie nice thing is really weird to me because I just think of it as like in a way it was just an. Um, other than there was a lot of um, prep because of the the indecision, but you know it's just another day, it's, right? It wasn't, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I did the much ado about nothing end shot, the cameraman came up to me and said, "You're going to be famous for this," and he was really kind of nasty about it too. And I went, and I, yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, that was that's so weird. It's like, well, you hired me. <laughs> Well, he didn't actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kenneth, Kenneth, did it. I actually um, was that Kenneth Branagh. I did, I did three movies with him. Yeah, the first one had a, a four-minute shot in it, opening shot. The opening it opens on the top of a bowler hat, so it's a black frame, mm-hmm. and it pulls back off the bowler hat, and then it ends up in another room. Then it's a big wanner, and it ends up as a still. And then goes into the titles at the front of the thing. And the thing is, it's a flashback. And mm-hmm. um, it's Stephen Fry, um, his farewell to his friends. And this is when they were friends at college and they're doing a, a, a skit. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing tutus and dinner jackets. And, um, and then there's a little crazy Cambridge Footlights song and dance number, which ends up. It, them leaving and then them swearing and cursing at each other and then they do a let's do a photograph and then that ends up a still frame uh. and then it goes into the opening sequence and then Kenneth said I said well, were you doing it like this and he said well it's a tiny movie <laughs> um, it's, uh, and he said we're in one location and I want to make it seem like it's a big movie so I'm doing this big shot at the beginning of the frame beginning of the film and it made perfect sense to me mm. so we did that um on uh, and then actually we did a, we did a few it was one time we, we were chopping wood outside the 
um, the, the stately home and then the two characters it's Kenneth and Stephen pick up the wood and they walk all the way up to the house and it's all in one big continuous shot and I said to him I said don't you want to cut into are you going to cut into this or you know make it you know so cross it here or whatever he said no no he said I did um I did Macbeth the soliloquy to Macbeth at um Helsinger Castle which is on the east coast of Denmark during an air sea rescue with helicopters flying overhead I said never missed a beat he said I'm going to do this so you know if you get theatrical actors yeah who have to do it which is kind of what Sam Mendes was doing on 1917 you see that movie and you think it's a piece of theatre really because there's no cuts in it there's no they're not tightening up anything the performances are the way they are I mean, that's in a way is the beauty of the Steadicam. It, it allows the um, it allows the the actors to dictate the the pace that the camera and the actors to dictate the pace of the shot, and not the editor. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it it it's a pretty it's a it's a great. I still like it. I still like doing it, and it's a great way of filmmaking uh, to a large degree. But it's not it's not great for everything. No, but. Um, yeah. yeah, it is pretty damn great. When it great, sings, though. it sings. You yeah, know? agreed. Um, you mentioned Kenneth Branagh saying, "Oh, I can do this." It reminded <laughs> me of doing. I did a day on a soap opera, mm-hmm. and they did sixty pages. Yes, and uh, one or two takes, probably four flubs the whole day. Yes, and it was all steady cam, just oh, banging it out. Yeah. Um, I knew that going in. Um, they were super cool. Everybody was very lovely and, and nice to work with, and the director was great. Oh, he did suggest to me, he said, this is just a lock-off. Why don't, can you put it on your stand? It'll be easier. And I said, sure. Uh, that was the one non-moving uh, shot. But <clears throat> um, they just know their lines, man. Yeah. They just, because they do like 100 pages a day or some shit. Yeah, it's, it's a great it, training ground. Absolutely. Um, anyway, um, I've asked you all the all the questions, and we've been talking now for, um, I think, um, an hour and forty minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be. It's been very. It's been. Uh, it's been enlightening. It's been very interesting, and uh, I appreciate it. I, I know you didn't remember. We met years ago for um, for about two seconds, but um, uh, I'm glad you. Well, you forgive me then. Sorry. Oh, you're more than forgiven, but. But no, I was just going to say, not knowing me, you, 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 you were willing to show up and chat, so I, I do appreciate it. Well, Thank you for that. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Well, thanks, and uh, yeah, uh, I think that's it. Unless there's anything else you want to say, we're, we're, we're done here. That's plenty for an hour and however many. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to Andy for coming in and joining me. I really enjoyed it. I loved hearing all the uh, all the details about the opening shot from Boogie Nights and the other shot, and then just all the rest of it is pretty interesting. Um, if you'd like to join Patreon and get some bonus content, you can do so at patreon.com slash walkingbackwards. I really appreciate all my Patreon patrons. They help keep the show going. Um, you know, it's, it, it gets more expensive every month. <laughs> So, I mean, it's not that much, but, you know, it's enough that uh, it's not a burden, but it's nice. It's nice that people like it enough to support it. And I appreciate it. Um, 
So join on up if you'd like. And thank you very much to Walter Clausen for their continued sponsorship and their friendship. Okay, that's it. Thanks again. I'll see you guys next time.